look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for that truth. That the sun will shine again in your own good time. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Though at times we are faithless, we know that that you remain faithful. We pray now, Lord, that, that you'll open our hearts to hear your word and the message you have for us today. Help us to, to tear down the walls around our hearts to truly let you move, to reach us where we are today. We thank you and we love you, Father. In the precious name of your Son, we pray. Amen. What a beautiful truth. It won't rain always. The sun will shine again. But sometimes it's hard to see that in the midst of the downpour, isn't it? That must have been exactly how they felt. Can can you picture them inside that little house in Bethany? A house that that once rang with laughter and joy, but, but not today. See, today that laughter has has been turned into tears and the sound of weeping. That joy has been replaced with the deep sorrow unlike any they'd ever known or felt before. And there they were, kneeling, Mary and Martha, sisters, praying, pleading to God to heal their brother Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus. His smile used to to just light up the room. He was still so young, so strong, so full of joy and energy, still in its prime. But today, he just lay there helpless with a pleading stare, that look of one who knows he's approaching death. See, he was ill, fatally ill. In fact, every doctor in the town had told Mary and Martha there was nothing more that, that could be done for their brother. All that was left was prayer. And that's exactly what could be heard that day in that Bethany house. Pleading prayers, punctuating the sound of of weeping. If only Jesus was there. Lazarus was slipping through their hands with each passing moment. If only Jesus was there. He'd been there so many times before. He loved to spend time in that house. He loved the company of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He used to spend time with them. He he would sit and share and, and teach and they would listen and learn. They ate together. They laughed together. Why couldn't he be there right now? If Jesus were there, he would just lay his hand on their sick brother and just bring healing to him. But but he wasn't there. Maybe he was too busy, too far away too concerned with things that that were of greater importance at this moment. All they knew was their prayers had gone unanswered. It's not that Jesus didn't know. Mary and Martha had had delivered the message of Lazarus' illness to him. He knew. He even promised them that Lazarus' story would not end in death. But now things just seemed hopeless. As Lazarus' eyes close in death, Mary and Martha have no solutions, no explanations, no answers, and no great plan. But God does. 
Let's turn to John chapter 11. I want us to look at this passage explaining this amazing miracle. Here was Lazarus, poor sick Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. We're going to start in John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and who wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. There's the promise. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. There's the purpose. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Jump down, verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, reminding her of the promise, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said again, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He heard it from both sisters. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Stop here and think about that. I love, I love that Jesus wept. He wept because, once again, he was reminded of the effect sin had on his creation of death. He wept because he loved his dear friend Lazarus. He wept because he saw the pain that that it had caused Mary and Martha. He saw what they were going through. He wept because he saw the unbelief of those around him. He saw that their faith was, 
was based only on what they could see within the parameters of, of the earthly, not the eternal. Could not the living God who, who breathed life into this man and took it away, give it back again? He wept because of the frailty of faith of those around him. You can almost read it. You can almost read it in his tears. Trust me. Let me work. Put aside your preconceived notions of what's possible. This is the impossible. This is where I work. This is what I do. Step aside. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the, the sister of the dead man, by this time there, there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you had believed you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. You can imagine the hush. And then a sound. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Once again, the Lord just blows us away. And I love how God does something so amazing and He accomplished so many things with one miracle. In one miraculous motion, Jesus raised, evangelized, and taught. And today I want to take a look at all the parties that were present that day at that event, at that miracle. Because everyone in this room can identify with at least one party that was there. Lazarus was, was given new life and a second chance. He walked away singing a new song and a personal message of how Christ had literally raised him from the dead. The crowd, the bystanders that were there that day, they saw that there indeed was a God and this miracle maker was His Son. And while everyone celebrated Lazarus' renewed lease on life, I can just imagine Mary and Martha must have looked at each other, eyes wide open, jaws dropped, awestruck, thinking the exact same thing. They learned an amazing lesson that day about unanswered prayers. First, when you look at their story, there was so much that, that these sisters did right. They immediately took their request to the Lord. They went to the right person right away. We would do so well to, to follow that example. To take our problems to the Lord with, with such speed. No, no. Instead, we, we try to work it out. Come up with some strategies, some ideas on our own. Maybe bounce some things off our friends try to think of some possible solutions. Their initial reaction was the right one. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the only one who can heal, who can fix, who can restore. And they continued in earnest prayer. They poured their hearts out to the Lord. But looking at the story, you can just kind of see how desperate they got. As time passed by, as the hours ticked away, the situation grew more desperate and no answer was in sight. Where was Jesus? He was tarrying there, just just short, uh, short ways away, but, but He wasn't here. He wasn't taking care of my problem right now. 
And their earnest prayer, their earnest request to a living God went unanswered. Unanswered prayers. Do you find yourself there today? Do you find yourself with no answers to requests that you've made time and time again to the Lord? Day after day, week after week, year after year. We've all been there. We've all been in a place where we poured our hearts out to the Lord. We made our petitions known to Him. Our motives were good, but we received only silence in response. Our hearts can grow cold, can't they? Our hopes can grow dim. Our faith can grow weak. But take heart, because like those two sisters, we don't know the end of the story. We don't know what's right around the corner. See, we get desperate because we only see a small circle of circumstance around us. But, but God sees way out into the distance. He sees over that mountain that stands in our way. And as Martha and Mary sat stunned in the wake of, of their brother's resurrection, they realized some important lessons, some, some amazing contrasts in what we ask for and how God answers. And there's three very very simple but important contrasts, some lessons that, that I want us to look at and remember if that's where we find ourselves today. Lesson one, it's not about me. Go back and look at verse four, Jesus' response to Mary and Martha's petition. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Wait, Lord, that, uh, that doesn't quite work for me. Look, I'm all for bringing glory to You. I'm all for bringing honor to Your name, but, but, but not when there's a direct cost to me. Not when it's so costly, Lord. I need You to do this for me because I don't want to be saddened, Lord. I don't want to be discomforted. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to be hurt. You notice a common thread there? It's so easy in what we're going through to lose perspective of the fact that, that God wants to use us as His canvas to paint His principles on, to be living examples of His truths, to bring glory to His name. There's a watching world out there. Well, that's, that's wonderful, Lord. And, and we want to be used by You, but use us as Your examples of victory, Lord. Use us as, as, as your examples of prosperity and success. But, but pain, sickness, trial? Look, the, the story and the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead wasn't, wasn't as much for Lazarus or Mary or Martha as it was for those who witnessed it. That crowd we read about. Verse 45 says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. Now, what if Jesus had answered Mary and Martha's personal request, private request, in, in an immediate and private way? He immediately heard the news. He went to their house. He put his hand on Lazarus and healed him. Oh, well, would have worked for Mary and Martha, but, but what impact would it have really had on those who were watching the day of that miracle? Would, have, would as many lives have been touched if it happened that way, if it happened the way Mary and Martha had wanted. Yeah, it would have worked for them. God would have answered them, but, but it wasn't about them. God was accomplishing 
something that touched more than Mary, more than Martha, more than Lazarus. Think of those around them. Look at the impact of that miracle. Look at the way lives were changed. Look at the faith that spread. Look at the story we're reading today. It wouldn't have been the same. There was truly a greater good. A greater purpose. God had a purpose and a plan. And the same is true in our lives today. For whatever it is we're going through, don't think that we're the only ones concerned in the matter. Don't think it's all about you. It's all about me. Are we so self-centered and self-involved that we fail to see the other lives around us that are impacted? God may answer in a completely different way, but, but it will glorify Him. It will touch others around us. And it will be the best possible answer for us. Sometimes God answers our, our very private prayers in a, in a public way, doesn't He? Our needs are met, yet at the same time, God is glorified to all those around us who see the amazing answer. He wants to use us as His canvas. But so often we don't see that. We don't see that God is using our trial to work for His glory. To work in us. To work on us. To change us. To mold us. To make us more like His Son. We're consumed with what works for me. What's best for me? What's most comfortable for me? What's the least disruptive in my life? Our tolerance level is so low. Our awareness of our testimony and our example for the Lord is so poor. Our threshold for endurance is, is, is just so, so minuscule. What happened to waiting on the Lord and trusting Him for His solution? Letting Him work on us, change us, and use us. God has a purpose for the trials He takes us through, doesn't He? And we've seen it in our lives. And what we think works best for us, or what we think is most comfortable for us, is never the purpose of any one of those trials. God is working on something. And oftentimes, it, He's molding us. And, and it requires friction. It requires rubbing us the wrong way. It requires backing us into a corner. It requires stripping away every possible solution that we, in our earthly mind and our strength, have. So that we have no recourse left but to just throw ourselves at the feet of Christ. And oftentimes, that, that does involve pain. There's never a crown without a cost. There's never anything of, of real great value that doesn't come with a price to be paid. There's, an, there's a great example written by um, the wonderful Mrs. Charles Kalman about a bar of steel. A typical bar of steel is worth $5. And she writes, A bar of steel worth $5 when wrought into horseshoes, is worth $10. If it's made into needles, it's worth $350. If it's made into penknife blades, it's worth $32,000. If it's made into springs for watches, it's worth $250,000. What a drilling the poor bar must undergo, she says, to be worth this. But the more it's manipulated, the more it is hammered and passed through the fire and beaten and pounded and polished, the greater the value. A five-dollar bar of steel worth a quarter of a million dollars when it's beaten and polished and pounded 
by its maker into something of great value. So keep it in perspective. God is using the often difficult circumstances, the often difficult and painful situations in our lives to make us something of great value for Him, for His kingdom, to reach and touch others in a way we never could have before. But we've got to take our eyes off ourselves. We've got to stop thinking about what works for me, what's most comfortable for me. Through it all, think, how can God use me in the situation I'm going through? Lord, may you be glorified in whatever trial it is I'm going through. In whatever it is you're taking me through, you're walking right there with me. May my attitude be right. May my eyes be open to learn what you want me to so that you are glorified and I am changed. Submit to his will. Realize the greater good and the bigger picture. It's not about me, Lord. It's about your greater purpose. Lesson two. It's not about now. Make no mistake about it. We're a society driven by one point of reference on the clock. Now. Right now. Think about it. We, you never hear someone praying, Lord, in, in five years from now, Lord, Lord, ten years from next Friday. No, no, it's always right now, immediately, couldn't be soon enough, I want it done yesterday. That's the society we live in. And, and unfortunately, that's the mindset we've, we've taken on. Look at Mary's response when Jesus finally did come to the house after Lazarus died. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary, she stayed at home. She wasn't exactly thrilled with, with Jesus' timing in the situation. And then Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had worked within my time frame, things would have worked out my way. Lord, if you had shown up when I needed you to show up. It's a, it's a little late now, Lord. There's so many underlying thoughts behind Martha's response. And, and every one of them is incorrect. Lord, Lord, perhaps you didn't understand the urgency of the situation. He knows every detail of our lives, down to the very hairs on our head. Lord, Lord, perhaps you meant to be here, but you got delayed and you were late. No, no, no. He holds time in his hands. There are no accidents when God is involved. Nothing gets in his way when he wants to move and when his time is right. He wasn't late by any means, not by his schedule. Oh, he was late by Mary and Martha's schedule. He was late for a healing, but he was right on time for a miracle. Amen. Two verses later, Jesus responds. He says to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha says, Lord, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And, and again, once again, Martha clarifies that we have no idea of God's perfect timing in our lives. When they thought God should answer now, he said, no, no, later. And when they said later, he said, no, now. <laughs> we have no idea. We have no idea about God's perfect timing in our lives. But we certainly find ourselves dictating to him the time frame, the schedule, don't we? Perhaps he doesn't understand the urgency of my needs. Then we find ourselves sulking in, in if-only land. If only God had answered. If only He sent me a spouse ten years ago. If only He sent us a child when we prayed five years back. If only He had given me that job. 
If only that move had happened. If only, Lord. If only what? If only he had, then, then my plans would have worked out. But, but are my plans what's really best for my life? Do I really know? Do I see into the future? Do I know what tomorrow holds? Or should I trust the one who does? Does he not hold tomorrow in the very palm of his hand? Does he not have a greater plan in mind? Sometimes he answers immediately because his will and our time frame happen to align. But, but oftentimes it, it's not the right time for us. He knows best. He knows when. We need to get the idea of now out of our minds, out of our heads. And understand that he has a perfect timing for us. It's going to require patience. It's going to require a sacrifice of our will. It's one I always struggle with. I'm a very now type person. I'm the one watching the, the seconds on the microwave. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and, uh, and I learned an amazing lesson lately when we were working on our house and we had some stucco work done. And I figured, what? This is a one-day process. Put it up and let's get it painted. Let's be done with it. So the contractor shows up and he works all day and he finishes and he goes home and I look. looks pretty good. So I call him up. So, great job. We all set. We're all cleared to paint. He said, oh, no, no. This is mud. It's got to dry. There's three layers you got to put on. Ah, three layers. Okay. So when can we put up layer number two? Oh, when it's good and ready. <laughs> so what are we talking about here? Are we talking tomorrow? Oh, no, no, no. This is, this is, you got to be patient with it. This is mud. It's got to dry. It takes time. It's been an hour and a half. <laughs> Come on. And he says, look, you got to think of this as, as a process. This is a drying process. You got to be patient. Give it time. Drying process. I never thought of it as a process. I thought of it as a service. <laughs> but a process. Process makes sense. Yeah, we're, we're in a process in our lives, aren't we? God is up to something. God is working something out for us, isn't he? God is working on us. We can't jump ahead. We, we can't dictate to him the timing. We can't get impatient and rash and make hasty decisions that, that can ultimately destroy God's purpose for us. God's miracle that he's working on for us. The heart of the problem is that we can only see the here and now. But there's more to our lives than what our eyes can see. There's more to our lives than, than what our minds feel how our emotions feel, what we sense. God sees beyond. He knows how that answer today may limit our future tomorrow. He knows how giving us something that we want today may perhaps hurt us tomorrow. He has our lives in His hands. Let Him do the work. Let Him worry about the planning and the timing. It's not about me and just as importantly, it's not about now. It's about God's perfect purpose in God's perfect timing. Lesson three. It's not about my solution. It's not about how. It's not about how I think God should best meet my needs. Do we dictate to God exactly 
how we want Him to answer. Wait, shouldn't we pray to the Lord in, in, in detail? Shouldn't we explain to Him everything and, 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 and make our requests in finite details? Yes, details are wonderful, but when we get so caught up in the details of how we want God to answer us, when we get so caught up in our preconceived answers that that any other providence by God is, is a disappointment to us. Well, then something's wrong. Our focus is wrong. Lord, Lord I want to be happy in my life. And therefore, here's my solution, Lord, to it. I, I need a spouse. Oh, God, God may say, look, I'm going to make you thriving and ecstatic and fulfilled, but, but it'll be as a single person. Lord, only this job is going to fulfill me. Only this move in my life, Lord, is going to cut it. Only this house, only this time, only this request. God has other plans. Seek His will. Look at the ultimate example. They were mentioning it in the memory class. Jesus at Gethsemane's garden. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Someday in heaven, God's going to sit us down and He's going to show us. He's going he's to put on the heavenly TiVo and He's going to show us, here's how your solution, here's what you thought would have been best for you. Look how it turned out. Watch this. And then we're going to be in horror. We're going to stand in awe at, wow, your solution was so much better, Lord. Yeah, it was. Look at our story here. Mary and Martha asked Jesus to come immediately and heal their brother. So what would have happened if Jesus came and healed their brother immediately? That's the solution they wanted. They wanted a healing. So suppose Jesus gave them a healing. He came immediately and healed them. Would there have been even all the bystanders? Probably not. Those who would have found out later about it, what would their reaction have been? Lazarus was healed? Jesus healed Lazarus. Well, maybe he was healing on his own. Maybe he was already getting better. This could be coincidence. I mean, I mean what does that really say? What, what do we really know of this Jesus? See, most of the friends, most of the townspeople that were there, they would have probably simply just overlooked such a healing, but they couldn't deny raising Lazarus from the dead. Most of them had been there for Lazarus' burial. They knew he was dead. They closed the book on Lazarus. Lazarus was beyond the point where any human aid could help, where any human providence could make a difference. And that's where God steps in. See, Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to heal Lazarus, but the Lord had bigger plans, didn't He? Everyone may have forgotten the day Lazarus was healed. Many of them probably forgot the day Lazarus died, but they'd never forget the day that Lazarus rose. What an amazing lesson learned by Mary and Martha. It's not about me. It's not about my timing. It's not about my solution. It's about how God's purpose, His timing, and His perfect solutions for us work so perfectly. Remember that when you think your prayers are going unanswered. 
They're not unanswered. They're not even delayed. God has a purpose. God has a perfect plan for your life. Don't measure it by your timetable. Don't measure it by your time scale. God is working on something. Remember that promise when despair or hopelessness or fear ever sets in. What an amazing story. I love how God accomplished so much. And the audiences that were there, we talked about that earlier. Four, four different parties that were there. Who do you identify with? First party, Lazarus. He was made a living testimony of Christ's miraculous touch. For the rest of his days, Lazarus became a very powerful evangelist. He wouldn't need to speak of Christ's amazing miracles in, in the third person. He had a real-life, death-defying miracle in his life. And now he had a calling to let the world know what Christ did for him, what he could do for them. Has God touched your life? Has God raised you from that death-bound grip of sin? You can bet that there wasn't a difficult situation. There wasn't an obstacle in his way in the future, whether in his way or anyone else around Lazarus, that he didn't say, wait a minute, Jesus raised me from the dead. This is nothing for him. He can do it. How about the second party, the sisters? Mary and Martha, do you identify with them? Pleading to God and receiving silence. They learned an important, important lesson on unanswered prayers. God has a perfect timing and a perfect way for a perfect purpose. It's not about us. It's not about what we want when we want it. God knows what's best for each one of our lives. And through His answers in our lives, others will be touched. God will be glorified if we allow the Lord to make us His canvas. Just be patient. Just rest. Just trust. Give it to Him and leave it there. Are you there today? Are you in the same place they found themselves in? Pouring your heart out to God. And then just receiving silence in response. Yeah, your prayers aren't unanswered. Don't make the mistake of thinking God's not listening. Nothing's delayed. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. God is working on something in His own timing. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too late or too hard or too far gone. Take the words God can't out of your vocabulary. But along with them, take out the words now, take out the words me, and take out the words my. It's not about us. It's about God's master plan for us. He had a different plan for a different purpose and in a different way than what Mary and Martha prayed for. But what was the end result? It was a miracle. A miracle beyond what they ever could have imagined that touched others in a way that they never could have dreamed. And yeah, in the process, they got their brother back. God never fails to exceed our greatest expectations. But it's in His own way and in His own time. Hold on to that promise because just when things look darkest, just when it seems Jesus had tarried too long and your heart's desire lies buried in a sealed tomb, Jesus shows up in Bethany. And he says, step back, move that stone. I'm going to do something here. He's on his way. Third party, do you identify with the believing crowd? 
So many that were present at that miracle walked away awestruck and convinced of God's miraculous, life-changing power through the work of His Son, Jesus. They believed, they committed their lives to Him. Verse 45, it says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in Him. They couldn't deny it. They saw it with their own eyes. They couldn't deny what they had seen the Lord do in their very midst. They immediately put their faith in Him. I love the expediency of that response. Right away. Immediately. I can't deny it any longer, Lord. Are you there? You've seen what the Lord has done in the changed lives of those around you. You've seen how He's moved in your life. You've witnessed Him. You sense His presence and His urging. And you say, I come, Lord. I come to You. I give it all up. I can't deny the evidence. You're putting your faith in Him. You're trusting the only one who can truly, permanently, and unmistakably change lives. I told you there were four parties present. Who's the fourth one? Look at verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Hmm. I don't believe it for a second. Yeah, I saw it. But I choose not to believe. Let's go report Jesus to the Pharisees. Let them deal with Him. I don't want the burden of having to make a decision one way or the other about what I believe. So close. They were so close. That was their legacy. So close to the kingdom. So close to salvation. They tasted it. They were there. They witnessed the same event, the same miracle. They saw the same evidence as the believing crowd that day. They were in the presence of divinity and they walked away unchanged. How tragic. Do you identify with them? How many here are in that group today? You've been there. You've seen the life-changing power of Christ in the lives of those around you and your friends in your family, in your spouse, in your children. But that's not for me. Nope, I know better. You don't want to have to deal with the decision. Too great a leap of faith. Too much to to have to give up. Too much to have to sacrifice. Too much still to experience out there. Too many things still to explore. Not right now. Not right here. Not at this point in my life. What a tragic decision. What a tragic excuse to be ushered into hell with. Don't get caught. Don't get caught in that unbelief, in that apathy, in the lies of the devil, in the promise of tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised. We have no guarantee about tomorrow. Make your decision for Christ today. There's never a moment in your life when it's too soon to choose Christ. But there will come a moment when it's too late. Don't be caught there. Choose Him. He's the only one who can save you. He's the only one who can heal and repair and restore and fix and forgive and save. Stop looking for solutions and answers elsewhere. Stop looking for fulfillment or contentment out out there. 
You won't find it. You won't fix it. Let Him do it. Let Him fix it. Let Him take the broken pieces of your life and make a miracle out of you. You saw what He did in the lives of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You saw how He took a hopeless situation of despair, a situation that was beyond anything that could be done, and and He made it perfect. Does your life need healing? Healing. Healing, you might say. I'm, I'm beyond healing. Yeah, well, so is Lazarus. But he was perfectly ready for a miracle. He was perfectly ready to be raised from the dead. Let him make a miracle in your life. Let him make a miracle out of you. Let him save you and transform you and give you a life that you can only dream about. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for yet another miracle that that we read about today. Thank you, Lord, that you know better than we ever can. We thank you that when things look impossible to our human eyes, you're just beginning to choose which miracle to amaze us with. Help us to remember today, Lord, in whatever situation and circumstance that we find ourselves in, it's not about me. It's not about us. Lord, it's not about our timing and our way. You have a perfect answer for us. It'll be in the time that you know is best for us. It will bring glory to you and it will demonstrate your power to all those around us. And in the process, it will far exceed our greatest expectation. Help us not to be discouraged, Father, by by what we think are unanswered prayers. Lift our fallen heads. Dry our crying eyes and remind us that you're simply preparing a miracle in our lives. We love you. We thank you for your presence with us today, Lord. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.